Welcome to this message from Port Life Church. Our goal is to bring life to the Port community and beyond. And our hope is that this message will inspire and encourage you today. Well, hi there and good morning, everyone. How are we doing today? We good? It's great to be here with you this morning. Uh, thanks to Andre for that intro. And as Andre mentioned, yes, we did um, move over. It's been just over two years now uh, that Kirsty and I have been here. And it's been so good. We've loved being here, even despite all the COVID stuff, not being able to go home for uh, periods of time, etc. Uh, we actually haven't um, noticed that much because we've had so much love uh, and support here. So thank you to uh, the Port Life Church family. Um, as I said, we moved over a couple of years ago now, uh, two years and I don't know, I think we moved over in the December of 2019. So just before all the fun began. Uh, but once we've been over here, we've noticed a few things that are quite different about this church and this community, this family, uh, to what we've been used to back at our, our former church that I was in for a good 20 plus years. I was there from when I was about five years old. One of those things is that lots of people here seem to be quite good at building and making things and crafting things and renoing houses and... Uh, at our former church, there was like one person. Here, it's like every second person is like that. Um, at least in the circles I've found myself in. I don't. Maybe that's not true. I don't know. But I tell you what, that is not me. I am not good. I have zero skills in that area. On a scale of one to ten, I'm in the negatives when it comes to being some kind of workman who's able to do stuff with my hands. I feel like a lot of wives here are saying to their husbands, "Let's let's rent our house together." Um, my wife says, if you try and reno our house, I'll call the cops. <laughs> I want you nowhere near it. You will break it. You will ruin it. I've always been useless at all those kinds of things. In fact, in high school, I remember in tech studies, both wood and metal, I was just completely hopeless to the point where my uh, year eight woodwork teacher, his name was Mr. Knight, he also happened to be my personal drum teacher and he got a job as the woodwork teacher so I kind of had an in for extra help and he, one year we had to make a, a clock, right, make a clock, I don't know how to make a clock, how do you make a clock? So we had to make this clock and of course I couldn't do it, I didn't know what I was doing, uh, one thing I could make was little guns out of wood on that thing that goes around and you just like slowly make a gun out of it, that's what I could do um, and I actually was able to give those away to fellow classmates, I was quite talented in that area but when it came to making anything else, no, as soon as you had to nail things, measure things, put stuff together, no way. And so Mr Knight, I remember that particular year, built my clock for me outside of maybe a couple of little things and when I submitted it, he gave me a B plus. And I was like, thank you, Mr. Knight. You're a good man. So my parents see the B plus on my woodwork. They're like, gee, Nick, so talented. You know, look at you. Such a well-rounded student. Uh, and I'm like, no, that was all Mr. Knight. So thank you to Mr. Knight if you're watching this, which you most definitely won't be. So I was useless at all that stuff. It was a real shame because my granddad was actually a really talented, really skilled woodworker. I've got a picture of myself and my granddad up there. Unfortunately, uh, in 2020, my granddad passed away, uh, and so he passed away when we had just recently moved here, uh, and, and it was, as kind of Jason was talking about with that lady, it was one of those situations where we weren't able to return back um, to, to say goodbye, but myself and about 800 other people attended his funeral online, uh, which was pretty incredible, but he was 
an amazing woodworker. And as a boy, I remember I'd go out to his shed and I'd watch him turn wood. I'd watch him do all these things. And I used to just be completely in awe of the things he would do. Now, I got my grandma to send some stuff through. Now, what my mum told me was that most of the things that granddad made, he actually made to give away. Uh, and so we even have little things in our house that he has made as well. Uh, but these are just some little tiny examples of certain things that he has made. And I remember I would go and watch him make these things and just be really, <clears throat> really blown away, really in awe of the things that he would do. There's another picture. The next picture, this is my, my favourite thing. He made me a pen out of a bullet, which I think is pretty cool. Um, so he kind of got this bullet, and I don't know, I don't know whether that's easy or hard to do, but for me, I'm looking at that, and given I have zero talent, I'm going, that might as well be going to the moon. You know, that is difficult. And so he's made this pen, and the little bolt up there kind of mimics like a rifle bolt, so it's really, really cool how he did that. And he, he sent that over. That was kind of one of the last things he made for me just before he passed away and sent it over with my mum. So I cherish that pen uh, every day. But I used to watch him do these things and make these things, and I was like, wow. It's just amazing. It's such a shame that my talent, that I haven't received any talent from there or inherited any talent, but my granddad was a skilled, skilled woodworker. As far as I was concerned, he was a master craftsman, a master craftsman. And, you know, in the Bible, God is presented to us as a master craftsman as well, the true and perfect master craftsman. And you know what? We are his master craft. We are his master craft. We are the thing that we can be in awe of and go, wow, God made that. Isaiah 64, 8 says, And yet, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are the potter. We are all formed by your hand. Ephesians 2, 10, which I'll talk a bit more about today, says, For we are God's masterpiece. Other translations say we are God's workmanship. We are God's masterpiece. We are God's workmanship. And the thing I love about us being God's master craft is that that tells me something very important. That tells me that we matter. That tells me that you matter and that I matter. It tells us that we are valued. You know, every piece that my granddad created, he cherished. And I believe every person that God creates and recreates he cherishes as well. Every masterpiece he makes, every person that comes to him and is recreated in his image, he cherishes. And it's the same with us and God. Also similar is the fact that Grandad created things for a purpose. When Grandad created things, some, they all had different reasons for being created and all, all different ways that they then were expressed. But each thing that he created and cherished also had a purpose, and we have also been given a purpose as well. I wonder if you've ever thought about your purpose before. What do I exist for? Why am I here? What do I exist for? It's one of the most important questions we can. Everyone always gives me a bottle of water because my mouth gets dry when I first start speaking. Blah. It'll go away eventually, but thank you. I appreciate that. What do I exist for? These are questions. This is a question, perhaps the most important question that we need to ask and that we need to find out. And the Bible is full of things about our purpose. 
It's full of information about what our purpose is with and through God. But there's three verses in particular in a book called the book of Ephesians, which tell us some vital information, I think, perhaps the most vital information about what our purpose is and what it needs to be, the what and the why and the how. And it goes like this, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10, and we're going to be spending a bit of time in these verses today, says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Now, these verses and this book, the book of Ephesians, is in the New Testament, the second half of the Bible, for those um, who are unaware of how the Bible's kind of made up. It's got all different books in it. And this guy, Paul, known as the Apostle Paul, wrote this book to a church in Ephesus, which was the capital of a province called Asia Minor. So this letter, uh, the book of Ephesians, was essentially a letter to that church or those churches. It was to be distributed throughout that whole province to a bunch of different churches in homes at the time in the first century. And Paul had had a radical encounter with Jesus Uh, He had previously been someone who persecuted and hated Christians. He'd had a radical encounter with Jesus and had gone on to spend the whole rest of his life planting churches, building up Christians and helping the church understand how they were to live and be in this world. And I believe that when he wrote these verses, when he wrote Ephesians 2, 8 to 10, he really did so to draw us to, hey, you need to understand this so that you understand how you are actually meant to live from here. He wanted us to understand these particular scriptures in this particular context so that we would understand the ongoing nature of who we are and our purpose in God. And so to understand what these verses are all about, I just want to actually break them down line by line today and go through them so that we can really get a grasp because I've found that these are verses that I can just skim over and skip through and go, yeah, that's good, we're saved by grace. But when you actually dig into it, it helps us answer that question, what? am I here for? What do I exist for? So let's start with verse two, uh, sorry, verse eight, chapter two, verse eight. God saved you by his grace when you believed. Other translations say we've been saved by grace through faith. Faith, belief, belief in Jesus. What Jason talked about this morning, belief in what Jesus did on the cross, his life, death and resurrection that he would take the punishment of sin on the cross for us, that we might have freedom in and through him. The grace that is talked about here is the undeserved favour of God. Undeserved favour of God. Not deserved favour of God. Undeserved favour of God. You have been saved by grace. We have been saved by nothing else. There is no other thing that we have been saved by, no other ideology that we have been saved by. As Jason said, no other stones or rituals or anything else that we could be saved by. We have been saved by what? God's grace. Saved by grace. And he goes on to say, and you can't take credit for this. That is, you can't take credit for that grace that you've been given. You can't take credit for the salvation that you now have through Jesus before God. Why can't we take credit? Why does God get all the credit? You know, I'm a nice person. I was nice before I became a Christian. 
So how come I get none of the credit? Surely we get a little bit of credit there if we were kind of nice before we became a Christian. But Paul actually says earlier on in chapter 2, in verses 1 to 2, he says, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to, this is, this gets you. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. What Paul's saying here is that before you're a Christian, it doesn't matter how good you looked on the outside. It doesn't matter what kind of life you were living. The fact of the matter is all have sinned, he writes elsewhere, all have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. And the punishment of sin is death. And that's what this talks about. You were dead in your disobedience and many sins. It's talking of a spiritual death. And the spiritual death is one where we are eternally separated from God, both in this life spiritually and ongoing. And that's where we get hell from. It is the ongoing eternal separation from God that we experience post this life. We were once dead in our disobedience and our many sins. And we were passively in that state, passively living for the devil. But Paul says that when we put our faith in Jesus, his life, death and resurrection, what he did for us on the cross, taking our sin, giving us life, that we then get saved from that spiritual death. We are no longer subject to or condemned to that spiritual death anymore. Instead, we have life and that's salvation. Jesus coming, Jesus being sent, Jesus dying on the cross, Jesus resurrecting. Us believing in that, that is by grace, the undeserved favour of God and grace alone. Nothing that we have done. This is why Paul goes on to write in the last part of verse 8, it is a gift from God. It is a gift. You know, we can't take credit for receiving a gift. I can't take credit for receiving a gift. You can't take credit for receiving a gift. Why? Because a gift is given based on the love and the generosity of the person giving the gift, not on anything to do with the receiver of the gift, other than the fact that the giver needs to love and be generous to them. Okay? Prime example, my parents, they will drop the dollars on me for birthday and Christmas presents year after year after year after year, even if I've been a trash head that year, even if I haven't called them that week, it doesn't matter because they are loving towards me and they have generosity. They are very generous people. And so they'll just come and they are generous, 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 gift after gift after gift. Sometimes it's embarrassing how generous they are. But it's all because of their love and their generosity. And uh, we see God's love and generosity on display in the gift of salvation. And the best verse for explaining it is, is Old Faithful, John 3.16, which many of you might uh, know. It says, for God... Now, I've actually <clears throat> I've put some annotations in here just to, to help it be understood a little bit more. For God so loved the world that he gave gift... His one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, that is, shall not be spiritually dead anymore, shall not be subject or condemned to eternal separation from God and hell, but have the gift of eternal life, salvation. Paul then doubles down on what he's stating here by making it abundantly clear in verse 9. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Can you imagine if we got rewarded for what we'd done? 
based on what he said earlier in verse 1, that we were dead in our sins, what we would be rewarded with, once again, is similar, spiritual death, eternal separation from God. Additionally, if salvation was a reward system, it would create a whole other problem, and that problem is that we would start ranking each other. I'm better than you because I go to church more. I'm better than you because I prayed for six hours and you only played, prayed for three. Who's prayed for three hours today already? <laughs> See what we do as human beings? You start to go, I'm better or I'm worse. And uh, 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 the ranking system, the comparison trap starts. And this is why God wanted to create a new system because the old system, the old system of the law, people would come and they had to be justified by their works. They had to be made good with God by their works and their sacrifices and whatever. But instead, God installs a new system where we're made good with God based on Jesus' sacrifice and Jesus' works, not on our own, so that none can boast. So that none can boast. And he goes on in verse 10 to say that, so based on the fact that we've been saved by grace, and this is the context we need to understand it in, based on the fact that we've been saved by grace, not by our works, we are now God's masterpiece because he has created us anew in Christ Jesus. We've been made alive in Christ, he says elsewhere in chapter 2, which I'll put in the app this week. We are no longer dead in our sins but we are alive in Christ. And because we've been created anew, we are the workmanship of God, this recreated being spiritually. Paul works really hard to stress that nothing we've done makes us a masterpiece. Our own workmanship, in fact, led to that sin and spiritual death. So we can't be a self-made holy masterpiece. We need the Saviour. We need Jesus. You know, my wife got a haircut yesterday and I think it looks amazing. <laughs> Just want to embarrass you publicly. There you go. But now you're going to get a lot of compliments about it or people won't say anything and then you'll be like, oh, no one said anything. Yeah. But she got this haircut yesterday. I think it looks really cool. But the thing is, nothing we can do to ourselves makes us a masterpiece. Subjectively to me, amazing, of course right? But your hair, your clothes, your body, your manliness, your anything else, none of those things make you a masterpiece to God because you cannot be a self-made masterpiece. You are a masterpiece only because of the grace of God that has redeemed you, that has saved you, that has brought you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of his son, for which you have been paid for with a price. It is a spiritual recreation that we go through, not a bodily one. You know what? You are not going to wake up tomorrow going, man, I feel like a spiritual recreation in Christ this morning. Hallelujah, Jesus. You will not feel like that. It's Monday tomorrow, so you're probably not going to feel great. Let's face it. Let's just be real. But you know what? It doesn't matter because this is not based on feelings. It is based on a spiritual reality, a spiritual fact, and the fact is you have been recreated, created anew in Christ Jesus. And I reckon God is super excited about this, uh, and there's a big reason why he's super excited about this. And that reason is that you now embody the sacrifice and the triumph of Jesus spiritually wherever you go. You are an embodiment of his son whom he loves dearly and who gave up his life. Everywhere you go, you carry that with you. And that's why Paul writes in Ephesians 2, 
uh, verse 7, he says, God can point to you or point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace. It's almost like God brags about you. God can point to you and go, I did that. You know, my granddad made masterpieces out of reject wood. He used to go and get the wood often from skip bins. My mum was telling me this week, he wouldn't like go and bin scab through them, but if people were chucking it out, he would take that reject wood, the wood that's like, uh, no one wants that, that's not going to be useful or helpful, and he would create things out of that reject wood. And you know, God has done the same with us. We were once broken, we were the rejects, we were nothing, we weren't good, we weren't holy before him. We weren't useful. We didn't have a purpose before him. And yet he's taken that and gone, you know what I'm going to do with this? Ha ha. I'm going to give it life. I'm going to give it reason. I'm going to give it purpose. I'm going to make it anew. I'm going to create this anew. And it is going to be a constant, forever reminder of the goodness of my son, Jesus Christ. He can now point to you as an example of his workmanship. Amazing. But you know what? It doesn't end there. I've put it in a big white screen so that you get it. Like, definitely doesn't end there, right? I just saw everyone's faces light up, (laughs) which is great. I can tell who's asleep. Ephesians 2.10, Paul goes on to say, so we can do, this is why we have been saved by grace. This is why we don't go on and boast, right? Ephesians 2.10, so we can do the good things he planned for us Long ago. So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. In other words, our purpose is to live for God. We have been saved by grace. Now we are to live for God. That is our purpose. That is our reason. That is what I live for. And what's really cool about this is that before we are saved, you may remember, because I've said it a few times, we were passively living for the devil, Paul says. Now he describes that we are actively living for God. Before we come to Jesus, before we accept what Jesus has done on the cross, life, death, resurrection, we are passively living for devil. We don't know we're doing it. We are just doing it because we're dead in our sin. But when we experience his grace, we receive his grace through his goodness, not our own, his love and generosity, not our own. We are now actively transformed, recreated to live for God, instruments of his grace forevermore. But what does living for God actually look like? Well, little hint, it doesn't mean just waiting around to go to heaven, regardless of your age. It doesn't mean, hey, I'm saved, I'm a Christian. Uh, Do I just sit down now and... I don't know, wait till I die in however many years and then I get to enjoy heaven. Yay! That is not our purpose. That is our reward. Our purpose is more. A contemporary of the Apostle Paul was another guy called James who is believed to be uh, Jesus' brother or half-brother, depending on how you want to look at it. And he wrote and he said this. He said, can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? In other words... Having faith in God without doing the things that he planned for you to do is is pointless. 
And so Paul then takes the rest of the book of Ephesians, basically from chapters 4 through to chapter 6, which I'm not going to go through and read it all out because we'd be here all day, but he takes those chapters as opportunities to detail, okay, Christian community, now that you've understood why you have purpose and where it's come from, it's come from your salvation, not through anything you've done, now let's detail how you are to live this out. It's a really cool book. And he urges them at the start of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, he says, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. This guy was like a superstar in the Christian community, and yet he's begging, please, please live a life worthy of your calling. In other words, don't waste your life. Don't meander through your life and just go, yeah, I'm a Christian and that's kind of where it ends. Yeah, that's beautiful in and of itself and it is good and we celebrate that. Awesome. But we have been created for a purpose, not created to just sit still, look pretty. He's saying it's time to live out that faith. It's time to live out that grace that you've been given. And he goes on to write in verse 22 and 24 of chapter 4, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life. And instead, again, I've annotated, put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. In other words, you want to live for God? Well, get rid of the old dead habits. Throw it off. Throw off the old dead habits of sin and put on or enact the new alive habits of Jesus. All right? And it really is like a coat. You know, I looked up on Google um, how long you can wear a coat for before it's societally um, unacceptable to keep wearing it without washing it. Because I was interested. And I looked it up. It's once a season. You guys aren't surprised, which concerns me. I was like, once a season... I, wash it, I would wash my coats more than that. Like, I, I, I don't know, I must think. But it really is this thing where people will say, wash it only every now and then. That's fine. But once a season, wow. If you're wearing a coat for a whole season, I know what it's like. Because in Ballarat, where I used to live, you never take a coat off. Even, um, you know, January, February, March, it's like double coat. You know, let's go. Just in case it snows. So... We've got this coat on all the time, right? And at a certain point, I would be like, ooh, something smells. <laughs> you know? And you're doing the sniff test and you're like, who smells around here? And then you get home and the smell's still there. And it takes you a little while to realise you smell. You're the smelly one. And then you smell. And it's your coat because you haven't washed it all season, apparently. Right? And so you take that coat off because it stinks and you put on a new coat. And this is kind of what Paul's getting at with the take off, put on kind of illustration. Is he saying, take it off, all your old sinful dead person habits, stinky habits. Take it off like a stinky coat and put on the new creation coat that is the Jesus-like living. He wants us to take it off, active. It's an active thing. It's not like I will take off your coat and put a new one on you. It's we actually have some willpower in this, all right? Because he's given us his spirit, which empowers us to live out a new life. So Paul gives a bunch of examples then of what this taking off and putting on can look like. And it's really cool because he says, he, it kind of looks like a bunch of rules, but actually what he does is he goes, don't do this, instead do this, 
for the purpose of X, Y, Z. Notice the, um, notice the pattern. So, for example, he says, take off lying. Don't lie. Instead, put on or be truthful. Why? For the sake of unity in the body of Christ. He says lying can rip down a community. Right? He's not just being bossy and saying, don't lie, because he's saying, I don't want your community to be destroyed, so take off lying and put on truthfulness. All right? That's in 4.25. He says, take off festering anger and instead put on dealing with your anger in an appropriate way so you won't ruin your own faith because anger can corrupt our faith, can ruin our faith. He talks about it gives the enemy a foothold. Take off crude and abusive speech and instead put on helpful speech because it blesses others. Take off bitterness and slander. Instead, put on kind and forgiving, kindness and forgiveness Sorry, as Jesus has been kind and forgiving to us. Take off sexual immorality and greed and instead put on purity of body and heart to represent Jesus well. And you know, these are just some of the many examples that are found from Ephesians 4 to 6. And it's full of them. There's heaps more. And they include ones on marriage and family as well. How husbands and wives, what we need to put off and put on. In our parenting, what we need to put off and put on. It's fascinating. I encourage you, go and have a look at Ephesians 4 to 6 this week. But maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, wow, that seems like a lot of stuff I'm going to potentially have to remember to do. That doesn't seem like a little thing. That seems like a lot of little things, Nick. And I can't remember all those things. And I don't want to have to walk around with Ephesians chapter 4 to 6 in my hand as I'm living my daily life going, oh, am I meant to be doing that? Oh, did I do that wrong? The gospel is not about behavioral control. It's about transformation. And so really, what it all comes down to is living like Jesus here in this world. And the way that we do that and the little thing that I want to leave you with today so that you, if you're feeling overwhelmed by this idea that I have to do this instead of that, no, 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 how am I going to remember? What am I going to do? The little thing that I want to leave you today, the one little thing is this. Put Jesus first. Put Jesus first. Yesterday, we had an election. And as we came into the polling booth... The band can come up. As we came into the polling booth, we're given all these bits of paper. And what do those bits of paper tell you to do? They tell you who you need to put first. Put this person first if you want to vote that way. Put that person first. They're great. They've got good policies. La, la, la. Put this person first. Put that person first. All those things are important. Politics has their place, has its place but as redeemed people of God, the thing that we really need to do, the one little thing that makes big things happen in our lives is to put Jesus first, above all and anything else. In our behaviours and attitudes, putting Jesus first, yes, but also in our decision-making. How do we do that? Well, taking time to prayerfully consider Jesus' will in everything we do. Not shying away from the challenging questions. I wonder, and I'm preaching to myself here as well. When was the last time each of us asked these questions? What is Jesus' will for my career and my job? Part-time, full-time, casual, doesn't matter. What is Jesus' will in that area of my life? 
What is Jesus' will in my finances? Do we invite him into that place or are finances like a, hey God, you can have all this, just not that? Relationships. What is Jesus' will for my relationships? What is Jesus' will for my marriage? What is Jesus' will for the way that I act, the way that I serve as a husband? What is Jesus' will for the way that I relate to my husband as a wife? What is Jesus' will for my parenting and how I raise my kids? What is Jesus' will for my friendships? And what is Jesus' will for the way that I spend my time? I wonder when the last time we asked those questions was. I believe that if we do begin to wade into those questions and grapple with them, and we invite Jesus into that place, as we take that Jesus first approach to life, we will live like the master's craft, naturally. Because we'll be asking the right question will be having the right focus and that focus is Jesus. Hebrews 12 talks about, I think it's in one to three-ish. It says, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. When we have Him at the forefront, Him at the centre, Him is first, Him is the focus. The other things slowly but surely will begin to fall into line, including behaviours. We won't just be waiting for heaven, but we'll be living out our purpose here. And we'll find, I think, as an added bonus, life direction along the way. I wonder if you've ever gone to God and wondered, what's my next step? What is my next step? I'm feeling dull. I'm feeling like I don't know where I'm going in life. I feel purposeless. I feel this. I feel that. What's my next step, God? Proverbs 3, 5 to 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him and He will make your paths straight. In other words, in all your ways, go, Jesus, I want to put you first. And He, over time, will make those paths straight. He will help you know which way to go. That can take days, months, years, etc., etc. I'm not putting a timeline on it, but as we begin to do that as we put Jesus first we will find that those things begin to line up and those things we begin to get not only purpose but direction so we've been saved by grace through faith for good works okay we're saved by the grace through faith not by the works we're not saved by good works but faith without works is useless but when we're saved we become God's workmanship his masterpiece his recreation and as His workmanship, we're repurposed from passively living to the devil, for the devil to instead actively living for God. And living for God means living like Jesus. And we do that by putting Jesus first, taking the time to consider His will in all we do. Right now, church, we are going to sing a song called uh, Broken Vessels, Amazing Grace, which really celebrates the fact that we were once lost, we were once broken, we were once nothing. And God has chosen us to be redeemed and saved and put His Spirit in us. It's a really beautiful song that thanks God for that amazing grace by which we have been saved. But whilst we are singing this song and the subsequent song, I'd really invite you to converse with God. I'd really invite you to a conversation with God just between you and Him as you're worshipping, praising or taking time, a moment of silence. Allow Him to highlight areas in your life, if you're willing, where maybe you haven't been putting Jesus first and go, God, I want to submit in that area. In all my ways, I want to submit to you. 
because I know you have my best in mind, my best interests at heart. Would you take the opportunity to have that conversation this morning? Jesus, I want to know any areas. All is open to you. Nothing's off the table. I want to know where I haven't been putting you first and where I need to come back into alignment. Okay. All right. We can stand and we're going to sing and worship the King of Kings this morning. Thanks for listening to this message from Port Life Church. If you have any questions, please email info at portlife.org.au. Have a great day.